Good morning. I'm Amy, your host, and this is Inspired Business. Today, I have a super spectacular, magical guest, my nephew, Micah Valia. He is the son of my brother, Rick Valia. And Micah graduated from Emory University's Goizeta Business School and is now a financial planner at Thrivent Financial. And Thrivent is a Fortune 500 not-for-profit financial services organization. And so I thought that since my brother could not be here, I would invite Micah to talk about business and finances. So let's get on with it. Good morning, Micah, and welcome to the show. Good morning. (laughs) Okay, so um, in season one, I talked about business forecasting, and in in season one, I also didn't have a guest. So now I have guests in season two, and in season one, there was a three-part series that I did called Business Forecasting, in which I shared the story of the recession of 08 with our listeners. And I shared the story about my brother, my brother, Rick Valilla. And I would love to have had my brother um, on the show today. However, he passed away eight years ago. For those of you who do not know that my brother passed away, He has four sons, and I invited one of his sons, Micah Valia, to the show, and Micah, I know that that you had a lot to do with, um, well, not a lot to do, but you, um, your dad's, your dad's business meant a lot to you boys, and you learned a lot from your dad, and why don't you share with our audience a little bit of your your business background. Sure. Yeah. So dad essentially growing up had taught me most of what he knew about entrepreneurship, running a small business. We grew up in a single wide trailer and we were homeschooled and it was kind of a very high exposure to phone calls, interactions. His desk was our couch. We were around so much of what he did. And so it was a very constant message of be frugal. What the Lord has entrusted to you is precious and you have to make the most of it. Yeah. And so I kind of had that mentality growing up And it was really interesting. He had uh, made a comment that business school was a a kind of a useless degree and entity. But then when I just told him that I was wanting to go to business school, the school that I was going to, Emory University, had enough of a placement program and national recognition Mm -hmm. that he found that to be a lot more valuable than the information. And the reason that he had said that a business school was not necessarily an important piece was because so much of what you need in everyday business is not something that 
you learn in a classroom. Yeah, it can't be taught. It's, it comes from, a lot of it comes from experience. Yeah, it's, it's on the ground while you're doing these things, talking to individuals, learning from individuals. Yeah. And so <laughs> right. that, was, that was a lot of what happened. And even when you are at business school, they don't let you get your MBA until you've had three years of experience. Uh -huh. And so even though I took a lot of MBA classes while I was in undergraduate at Emory, uh -huh. the credit was entirely different. Um, so it's, it's kind of been interesting and a blessing to see the integration of those two mindsets over the past almost 10 years as I've gotten to have the book learning and then the business learning afterwards yeah so has it been 10 years uh micah since you've been out of school yeah so i graduated in 2010 uh, with the bachelor's of business administration i had concentrations in finance and management uh, so after i graduated in 2010 i actually went into business with dad uh, starting a company and we did all of the marketing all of the legal really applied a lot of what I'd learned at business school, but also got to glean a lot of information from him in terms of how practicality matched with the book side. And so we did that venture. He passed away in 2011. I kept the business running for another three years after he passed away. Mm -hmm. And then in October of 2014, is when I transitioned to where I am currently, which is being a financial planner for Thriving Financial. Okay, so I wanna I wanna go back because um, uh, I want to go back to when Rick had a one a one Masons was his. Um, or no, it was A1 Masons in the beginning when you were little. And then it became A1 Exteriors when you, when you were older. Um, and I remember that you and Rick were gonna go into business or you did go into it for, for consulting, right? Correct. Was that was the consulting um, business that you guys did together. Do you know, I don't, I didn't remember that you were still consulting for three years after he died. I, I didn't remember that. Yeah. So the business that we set up was essentially a management company for facility maintenance. And so we helped companies with consulting around what maintenance work needed to be done, what was most cost effective, where were the places that needed it, how to get it done. Mm -hmm. We were a very full service um, company for big box stores, small restaurants, et cetera. Oh, okay. And um, did you help, did you help uh, your dad with, um closing a1 exteriors or did he do that on his own he did that on his own um okay. it, it wasn't something that we were ever really involved in mm -hmm. but then the opening of the new business 
and how everything ran, I was very much involved in that. Sure, sure. Um, do you know the other thing that I didn't remember was that you that you actually started that business and were already working that business together before he died. I don't remember that either. Um, so this is <laughs> uh, this is interesting because I, I remember that you guys were going to do that. Um, but I thought that it was something that was in the works, you know, before you guys went on that vacation, you know what I mean? Before you guys went off on that vacation, I thought that, that the, um, the whole, um, idea of, of doing the consulting came, was, I guess, like just before, just before you guys left and it was just an idea it hadn't been launched and um so how i'm trying to um i'm trying to go back to when rick did um close the business can you can you walk us through where he was like when when you remember when when you were little to as you got older how the business his business a1 exteriors had expanded because it, it got pretty big yeah so when we were younger it was very month to month he had probably three different guys working for him mm -hmm. and he was very hands-on he had a foreman and they were able to do things one side at a time. Mm -hmm. By the time we got older, he actually uh, built our house with um, proceeds from the business and was designed each aspect um, of, the, of the home. And he had three different crews that were working at one time. And so then in 2008, 2009, is when that went back down to one crew mm -hmm. and it was costing roughly $10,000 per month for him to keep the business going. And right. so when you mentioned in the earlier podcast that he had to transition out of the business, it was because of those high expenses that there just wasn't enough income and there wasn't enough time for him to let things rebound right a lot of the housing market rebounded a lot of the stock market rebounded dad's business wasn't able to rebound in time to pick up a, you know the boom yes and and well, pay that, off the, the debts well the the rebound didn't happen until um years later and uh, the, 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 one of the industries that really gets hit, gets hit hard is going to be the industries like uh, your dad's that are in construction, right? There's not going to be a whole lot of building when a country is in recession. There's very little of that going on. Um, so... 
you have to be able to um, to withstand very, very little work, right? Um, and I do now appreciate the fact that he just transitioned, he transitioned with you into something else. I mean, he, he picked up a consulting, which is really, <laughs> you know, when you have years of experience um, doing something, consulting is, is like the next best move that you can make, um, which is what I'm doing now, <laughs> uh, believe it or not. Um, the consulting um, part fits really well when you're not, you know, getting in the, um, in the thick of it. You know what I'm saying? So um, I also wanted to, to go back with you uh, when you were talking about how, what you learned, a lot of what you've learned, right? And the business acumen that you have started with having a father that was an entrepreneur and growing up and watching this man grow something that was really small where you started out in a trailer to where you, he built it into something really great um, and became successful at it. Um, and the other, there, there's a lot of things that I, that I wasn't aware of. I didn't know that um, he, he had those feelings about um, business school. So how did you, and how did, were you, were you ever nervous or anxious about telling your dad that you were going into to school for business? No, we, we had really good communication and it was actually something that we talked about very uh -huh. much in detail because Emory University was on my list of schools, but there was, it wasn't number one. Um, and when we were talking through, okay, well, which offer do we take? I didn't really do a lot of campus visits. One of the things that dad mentioned was your value from this business school and from this education is only partly in what you learn. Yeah. And what you learn is valuable, but you can do that through books. You can do that online. You can do that through practice. The value of your education is really in where did you graduate and what opportunities did that university offer to you as having that degree? Because otherwise, uh, yeah. otherwise it's just a college degree or a recognizable college degree. If someone gets a college degree from Harvard University, people take note. Yes. And so there has to be a difference in that and or there needed to be a support from the university in helping you move forward. And so mm -hmm. one of the things that we ended up valuing very highly was the fact that the business school specifically at Emory was the number one business school in the Southeast. And my graduating class in 2010 was actually the number four 
class for undergraduate business in the entire country. Wow, and so, I didn't know that. <laughs> and so that, that renown, that name, uh -huh. and really the work that the business school did to connect us with big name businesses and internship opportunities, that was what was worth going to business school much more than you're going to learn how to market. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, I do want to, uh, I do want to talk about something that, that, of course, because you're my nephew, I know about it. Um, and something that I absolutely love that you have done is the, the work that you've done and you have to uh, remind me of the name because I don't remember the name of this organization that you have gone to. I think it's Haiti and, and uh, uh, the DR Dominican Republic um, to help small businesses with um, how to, you know, create a business for themselves so that they can sustain a living. Yeah, so I actually went down for the very first time in 2010 to the Dominican Republic. And it was after I had graduated from Emory and had a lot of business knowledge and I partnered with um, UTK in terms of just small group village sustainability. And mm -hmm. so they have a lot of programs down there around getting clean water, helping the villagers to be able to know true life mm -hmm. better mm -hmm. and fuller. They've done different medical programs. We did English classes when I was down there. Mm -hmm. And as I was working with the organization, Brad, who's the head of the organization, asked me to start them, uh, start launching a small business seminar slash partnership where we began to work almost in a microfinance type way with a lot of the individuals there in the Dominican Republic. And a lot of that had to do with first meeting with the individuals, developing business plans, talking through what are sustainable ideas, what are things that actually make a business work, because mm -hmm. break even is not something that makes sense to them in their business model. Um, and it's actually not something that most businesses in the United States even understand. Mm -hmm. So many people are functioning off of gross sales and they say, oh, well, we did $300,000 in sales this year, mm -hmm. but they don't notice the fact that in terms of what they actually had in revenue after all of the expenses, revenue might've only been 250,000. And so they're losing $50,000 a year, mm -hmm. but because of how the debt's leveraged, because of how sales are going, it's not seen or noticed by anyone because it's a very short term, short-minded mentality. And so we did a lot of work around just kind of redefining a lot of those misconceptions, 
looking mm -hmm. at how to train the individuals to make their businesses that they were already doing profitable and then if we could give them a small uh, incentive and so i translated that over to some uh, people in haiti as well there's a individual who started a business group and his trade was selling shoes but from the profits of selling those shoes he's helping some orphans uh, in the local community in terms of getting school books and having some kind of education because the local community doesn't pay for their education in Port-au-Prince. And so I've, I've done a lot of that type of work and it was actually while I was down there that the Lord really laid on my heart the idea that it's not what you've been entrusted with, it's what you do with it each of these individuals were poorest of the poor i mean haiti's a third world country dominican republic is a third world country when you take third world refugees put them in a third world country they don't have anything right monetarily and so being able to bring out the value of god's given you things that are not monetary family peace of mind joy like so many different areas a dependence on him you don't have distractions there's so many ways in which their lives are better than our lives mm -hmm. but in terms of what they've been entrusted with financially they're on a lower scale and so the lord brought to my mind the idea of the parable of the talents which in the parable of the talents you have a story where a landowner entrusts to three of his servants different amounts of money. Oh, and yeah, I remember this. <laughs> so to the to one servant he entrusts about five months' wages. Right. To another servant he entrusts about two, and then to the third servant he entrusts about one month's wages. Right. They all go away. The guy with five comes back uh, to the master and says, "Master, I took your five. I made it ten master's like you're awesome this is the mic of a little translation by the way <laughs> you're awesome here's you know a lot more responsibility for you thanks for being such a great servant <laughs> second guy comes back he said master i took your two i made it four the master said the exact same thing you're the man well done good and faithful servant <laughs> the guy with one comes back, says, Master, I didn't want to lose your money. I was afraid, so I buried it in the ground. Here's the one. And the master was livid. He said, you're lazy, you're wicked. The least you could have done is put the one in the bank, and at least I would have had some interest. <laughs> Take the one, give it to the guy with 10. Well, the moral of the story in my mind is mm -hmm. that had the guy with one came back with two, the master would have been thrilled because yeah. he did the same with the guys two is five. But also had the guy with five buried his five in the ground uh -huh. and brought mm -hmm. back five, the master would have been pretty livid. <laughs> and so it's not really a matter of what you're entrusted with, it's what you do with it. And that has defined 
my work over the last five years as a financial advisor uh -huh. because I came back wanting to go to the States and help Christians who have more. I mean, we're so, so blessed here in the United States and every single day we're burying five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten in the ground. In the ground. But, and so, but look at look at the reason it I want to go back to look at the reason why the servant that had that was given one month's wages. Okay. What did he say? He said he was afraid. Correct. Okay. He was afraid. And um I'm sure as a as a businessman, you have noticed this. I know that I have as a as a business professional that our fears of failure, okay, can keep us from using those God-given talents and gifts that we have. Um, so that when we're given, you know, an opportunity, that we shy away from it because what are we we're afraid and we're not um we're not believing in ourselves you know it's the self-talk that we give ourselves um that we could fail and so instead of making any attempt at all we bury it in the ground we bury our talent we be we bury the the opportunity that we have to serve others because if if we are um you know in it or living our lives in in such a way that we are following our god calling that's what i call it our god calling our our, our gifts that were given to us okay and we do not act upon that out of fears and the the fears can be can happen for a number of reasons experiences that we've had and things of that nature okay that we are actually uh the, the world is not benefiting our brothers and sisters around us the world around us is not benefiting from whatever it is they uh, our God calling is what God has called us to do, right? The world is not getting that. So we have, we're not just doing things for, for ourselves. We're not doing things just for our immediate family. We're also doing them for our community. And then the community gets bigger and then it becomes global. It's how we show up in the world and how we use those gifts and if we're not using them and we're afraid and we're burying that in the ground then not only are we not you know uh using our gifts but the fact that god wants us to be doing something for others those others that we're supposed to be serving are, aren't being served would you, would you not agree with that? I definitely agree. And fear plays a really big factor in decision-making and sure. really in business failure. Yeah. But another 
thing that I think is a bigger problem for Americans and and even globally, this, yeah. this tends to be a trend, mm-hmm. is you really have two options to function out of. You can function out of scarcity or you can function out of abundance. Amen. And when you're functioning out of scarcity, your mentality is such that I cannot do X because I don't know if Y will be there tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so you aren't going to be as generous to the community because you're concerned about your own mortgage. You're concerned about yeah. feeding your kids that day. Mm-hmm. And it's, those are good things to be concerned over. Obviously, all of us should have that responsibility in our mind. But if your mentality is such that I have so much I would love to share with my community, mm-hmm. I would mm-hmm. love to do this for others, then that creates an environment where surplus starts to come back to you. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. the, the generous receive generosity um it's it's a very backwards way of thinking but it's so true givers gain when you have a community that is constantly giving those people will grow together Yeah. yeah i i've i've seen it and this is a personal testimony uh in my work financial advising can be a very competitive industry you will see an Edward Jones office on one corner and he is in direct competition with the Edwards Jones office on the corner across the street. And both of them are functioning out of a, I have to have this much, this many clients so that we can make fill in the blank. Mm -hmm. So it's very siloed and they're very competitive. While at Thrivent, I've partnered up with two other advisors who, before our partnership, we were individuals. By teaming together and actually helping each other gain clientele, helping each other with work, helping each other service our clients, we have all three of us tripled our business. Wow. And That's so. Amazing. So that mentality of there's more than enough to go around if we're able to use each other's gifts and talents in partnership yeah, has mm-hmm. made a huge difference. Well, see, that just, so makes, that just makes sense to me, Micah, because, um, and, and my mentality is like that as far as collaboration. Are you kidding? Collaboration. Um, it's what I love about LinkedIn. It's why I'm so involved in LinkedIn is because of the networking and, um, and the collaborations. But you're talking about something even deeper, which is within an organization where you all could be, you know, your name's up on a, you know, on a board or on a, in a CRM, right? <laughs> where your, where your sales targets are up there, whatever they are. Um, and you're all just, you know, 
um, going through the the ins and outs of getting clients and retaining clients and leads and all of this stuff. And then when you when you power together, right, and you build an alliance, oh man, that's just brilliant. It really is. Well, and it's it's something that applies in so many industries, but it's not used often enough. And and you see it. I mean, it's why a lot of companies are starting to do synergies that wouldn't seem to make sense, but benefit both parties. Uh-huh. Look at AT&T and DirecTV. You have two companies who were good at what they did. AT&T has good cell phone service. DirecTV has good service in terms of TV. But when those two companies merged together and then they could share each other's clientele, Mm -hmm. both companies benefited and grew from that partnership. And so there are a lot of those synergies available in the business world mm-hmm. where we could take advantage of it mm-hmm. if we were functioning out of an abundance versus a scarcity. Because the fear, going back to your word about fear, the fear is I'm going to give, but then I'm not going to receive. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that that the the fear that if I if I uh, put out this much energy, I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna receive what what I need to sustain me. And even there's even fear with people that have been successful, Micah, who don't necessarily put all of it in the ground, but they put some of it in the ground. <laughs> you know what I mean? So there's like different variations excuse me, variations of that, where um, people are like, well, I, I have to make sure that I have what I need for, um, you know, my retirement. So I would love to talk about this right now, because I think this is a good um, uh, moment to do it. Now that we're talking about this, because you offer financial services how do you how do you help your clients? How do you um, help them plan for the future in that sense of a, in that you know energy of abundance instead of scarcity, right? Because, yeah, and you know you don't. I mean, it's one thing to to plan, you know, because um, you want to plan for your retirement. But we don't want to hoard. So where's the balance? How do you find balance and how do you teach that with, with your financial services that you provide? Yeah, and that's a great question. And it's a difficult balance. And it's not the same balance for every person because different individuals are going to have different risk tolerances and uh, different time horizons. Okay. And those are two very important things to try to balance. if if you know that you aren't going to need money for 20 years, then you don't have to be as worried if the market 
that you're invested in declines Mm -hmm. for one year, two years, even three years. Mm -hmm. If it's a solid market and it rebounds, then over a 20 year period, all you notice is growth. And so those are things that can be monitored, but they're not things that should cause fear and anxiety. Ah, okay. However, that has to be balanced with good choices. So you, you want to grow, you want to protect, but you can't just sit in a corner hoarding. You can't just put all of your grain into the silo and say, I've got to save this for later. I can't share. I can't give. Mm. There's a really, really sad statistic. Um, the church in general is all about giving and generosity. And there's a common percentage that's out there, which is 10% that Christians are quote unquote supposed to give. Only about 40% being, if I'm being generous of Americans give Mm -hmm. regularly, if at all, if the entire church in the North, in North America that said, Hey, I'm a, I believe in this God. I believe in the church. I believe in generosity. If every single one of those Christians gave 10% of their income, there would be no world hunger. There'd be no poverty. Well, you could say that about, um, I don't, to me, I don't look at it as a, um, as a, as a part of religion, uh, or spirituality, um, or faith-based at all. I just think of what is smart, um, financing. To me, smart financing is you have a percentage that you use for yourself. You have a percentage that you, uh, you, that you give away for charity. And then there's a percentage that you save. Yeah. And, And what you're talking about is making wise choices. And when you ask, Hey, how do you counsel your clients? What I am constantly trying to do with clients is to help them realign what they say is important with what they're actually spending. (laughs) I love that, Micah, because you know, in America, there is, um, consumerism is, it's, it's an all time high in America. Well, and, and I'll, I'll use one of dad's old philosophies. Uh-huh. And this is back when checkbooks were still an important <laughs> part of life. I would I would use maybe a, a you know a bank statement would be a, a better comparison at this point in time, or a credit card statement or whatever your mint.com shows. But dad used to say, give me 10 minutes with somebody's checkbook and I will tell you what's important to them. Oh, yes. Yes. And the reason he would say that is because you make space for what matters. When when the rubber hits the road and you 
have a thousand dollars and you're trying to figure out where is this money going to go you're going to pay your mortgage first because you care about a roof over your head you're going to pay the electric bill second you're going to pay for food third and then you're going to most likely spend whatever's left because in your priorities those are what is most important Mm-hmm. It's most important that you have a home. It's most, it's second most important that you are comfortable in that home. And it's third most important that you have food on the table. Mm-hmm. Why are those not the other way around? Because in our minds, they don't, the shift in the goal and the mentality hasn't been defined to say, I would want to spend, I need to spend this much money on food. I need to spend this much money on a house. These are my goals. These are the things. And so we, we try to work with clients around making actual decisions with their money instead of having their money just go wherever. Right. Having a vague idea of what things are supposed to do. We want our clients to be purposeful. So if our clients want to be purposeful then they will have a retirement goal in mind and so that retirement goal would be I want to make sure that when my wife and I retire we have and I use round numbers we have a hundred thousand dollars to live off of a year okay so if you need a hundred thousand dollars to live off a year that means you need to have x amount of dollars saved up and you need to have X amount of dollars that's guaranteed in income. So then this is what you need to be contributing in order for that to happen. Mm-hmm. I also know that the client has a goal of paying this much for their college expenses. And so in order to pay this much for their kids' college, they need to put this much aside. Well, as you start to rank these different goals, you'll start to move that dial. You might say, okay, I would love to have $100,000, but I can't put $500 a month towards my retirement account. I can only put 400. So then you start to scale back. Okay, instead of 100,000, it's gonna be 90,000. I could live with that. And so you start moving those percentages around and you make actual choices that are what you want and so Mm -hmm. then you find spending leaks where okay instead of you know spending a thousand dollars a year on starbucks coffee i didn't realize i spent a thousand dollars a year on starbucks coffee i'm i'm actually only spending a couple hundred dollars a year on the occasional starbucks coffee and i'm making more coffee at home Right. And and where's the other $800 going? Well, the other $800 is going directly towards my kid's college. And right. now there's a reason for the change. Because if you free up something in someone's budget, they're going to find a way to spend it somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, they are. I was just about to say, so how do you help them <laughs> reel it in when they go, woohoo, I've, 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 I'm saving $800 and then they just pick something else to spend it on that's frivolous. So I, I can't tell people how to spend their money. I can tell people how to reach their goals. Yeah. And, and that's the biggest difference. That's how you start to maintain that balance is 
you have to have very specific goals and you have to want whatever that goal is uh -huh. more than you want something else. Do you know that I'm, I'm, I'm watching this series that um, is a period piece on, on Netflix at the moment. And it's the period piece is uh, in the Great Depression, like right in the middle of the Great Depression. And one of the characters is a is a single is a single woman, and um, her dream is to buy her own little house uh, with with a piece of land, right? And when I saw that, and she was counting up her money, she had three hundred and twenty two dollars, and she was just shy of buying this little house and, and piece of land. And I, and I thought to myself, I was like, wow, look at, and you can, you can see in the, as the series goes on, how she, how frugal she is with her, you know, with her money and what she's doing and how she counts it daily. And um, she knows exactly what she has and, and exactly how much she needs um, to, to hit that goal. And I thought to myself, in this modern day and age, I think we've lost that. We don't have goals like that, simple goals like that, where we're just um, really mindful. And do, do you feel that people would be better off if, if we had if people made a a um, a conscious effort to have or visit a financial advisor right as they get out of college, don't you think? Yeah, I think I think every phase of life, once you have something to manage, you can benefit from advice most advice is going to be fairly simple and straightforward. The more assets you have or the more goals you have, the more complicated your financial situation gets, the more complex those strategies can become. Mm -hmm. Because we have clients that are very frugal that will give them advice that they didn't know was even possible in terms of doing what they already are doing well even better. <laughs> well, we're, we're very good in our office at helping clients move from a, this strategy works to this is a really efficient and robust money management strategy. And so I think there's a lot of benefit in talking to an advisor around your goals. Yeah, but I think if yeah. you don't have goals, then you can't really be helped because <laughs> I can tell you spend less on coffee and you might have a coffee addiction that makes that a really impossible thing. Or you might have shares in Starbucks or like there's so many different things that it could be that important to you that you get whatever it is that to me seems frivolous. Mm -hmm you, it might be the most important thing in the world. Mm -hmm. My dad was a great example of 
that that man spent more money on Notre Dame paraphernalia <laughs> than than he did on on his meals. Yes, yes, and, and it was that important to him to to the rest of the world. It was a very frivolous and waste of his resources but that was one of the driving forces that got him out of bed and got him to work was hey i'm gonna work this hard and i'm not going to stop until i succeed and part of that success is i'm gonna have enough money to take care of my family and enjoy notre dame football (laughs) And, and they were very simple goals but that's what mattered to him that's what mattered so I, I love that. I love that, Micah, that you have that compassion within yourself to see that we're all different and that you're not going to try to put me in a box and go, Titi Mimi, <laughs> you shouldn't be spending your money on this. You know that, that, um, there, I, I, I do believe that there are people, there's plenty of people like me that are afraid to approach people like you because then you're going to tell us, you know, how terrible we are <laughs> and how wasteful we are, um, which I know that there are things that we do waste on. But the thing is, is that your demeanor is, is so full of compassion that you're going to figure out what actually is and and support somebody and go well if that's important to you let's get all the important things out on the table you know what i mean and let's get rid of the stuff that isn't yeah and and i might start with that and that might be how i've been trained with the lord's laid on my heart Mm -hmm. if you go to another advisor and you tell them these are my goals that advisor if they're a decent advisor should be able to tell you what it takes to reach those goals. Mm-hmm. And I think when it comes to finances and even when it comes to just business, when we understand what our choices mean, it's a lot easier to make better choices. Once people found out that smoking increased their risk for cancer, so many people stopped smoking there are still a lot of people that still smoke because they are willing to accept the risk of cancer in order to have the nicotine. Right. But they understand that choice. Mm -hmm. And so an advisor's job is to help you understand your choices, to help you know, Hey, my choices are one of two ways. I have to either increase my income in order to achieve these goals, mm-hmm. or I have to reorganize my spending to meet these goals. Yeah. And everything you do is a choice. It is, it is so, so odd, and it frustrates me to death. I'll have family come in, and they have, in my mind, what is decent income, and they're telling me we can't make ends meet. We don't have enough every month to give 
to the church. We want to give more to the church. We want to do this thing for our kids and we want to have this much for retirement. But right now we just have all of this credit card debt. Help us out. And sometimes that answer would be as easy as, well, do all of those things matter more than where you live? Because right now your mortgage is 50% of your income. Uh, well, yeah, it's redirect. It's, it's redirecting and it is about choices because yeah. Where you live is a choice. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's and, like, and can you downsize? Sure. <laughs> and, and for some people they can't, I mean, they're, they're stuck in a situation and so you have to look at other avenues. But I think that idea of balancing choices and understanding where things are is a piece that is missed by so many individuals. Yeah. And so when you're talking about how do you inspire healthy business, because that's what this podcast is all about, is you're trying to present individuals with, hey, what's the magic sauce? How do I develop as an entrepreneur? How do I make my business successful? How do I take care of my family? How do I accomplish these goals? From a financial standpoint, you have to be operating out of abundance. And sometimes that's going to mean shrinking your goals and realigning your spending to those goals. Because when you can simplify it down to all I have to do this month is pay this, this, and this, and that's going to cost me $3,000. Mm -hmm. Well, I make 4000 So now I have a thousand extra dollars to do all of these different things. You, you are now able to live in freedom or you say, well, I have a thousand dollar cushion. If, <laughs> if, I, if I make mistakes in these areas, then I'm still okay. Mm -hmm. I can be generous. I can do these things. And so whenever we're putting together a plan for people, we're trained, do not plan more than 90% of somebody's discretionary income. Because there's 10% there's of oops, or I forgot to plan for, or <laughs> yeah. fill in the blank, right. that you just, you can't stress over every little penny unless you're that diligent to, to the dime, to the quarter, put and calculate everything that it needs to be in where it needs to go. Yeah. And so each of those areas matters. Having, having your goals set, knowing how to track those goals, making choices in line with your goals. Those are the things that drive business because the things that discourage us are I'm doing all this work for nothing. Yeah. And we give up. You, and, and it may not have been nothing. Your definition of nothing could have been a hundred thousand dollars, but because that hundred thousand dollars didn't meet what your goals were, you feel like it's nothing. Oh, I see. It's <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. That's amazing. Oh, gosh, Micah, you're so smart. 
Yes, everyone, this is my fabulous and brilliant nephew. <laughs> he, is my, he is of my blood. My blood is running through this man. <laughs> I love this. Oh, Micah, thank you so much for offering so much value to our listeners. And um, I'm going to have your information in the show notes as to where they can find you through Thrive It. Am I right? Correct. Okay. So I'll get that information and I'll put it in the show notes so that if uh, there are anyone that wants to utilize your services, bam, Micah Valia will hook you up and get you crushing it every month. So thank you, Micah, for being on the show. Honor and a pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me. Okay. Wow, what a great show. I will have Micah's contact information in the show notes just in case you would like to reach out to him. Until our next magical guest, remember, walk the magical path by being a delight to yourself and to others. I'm Mimi, and this has been Inspired Business. Thanks for listening.